0: Today we are in Revelation 12. On March 26, 1997, there was an epic showdown between the Detroit Red Wings and the Colorado Avalanche. You see, in the previous season, during the Western Conference Finals, Claude Lemieux of the Avalanche checked Chris Draper of the Red Wings from behind, face first into the boards. Now, there is perhaps no more dangerous and illegal play in the game of hockey. Now, thankfully, Chris Draper was not paralyzed by the check, but his face was all bloody. Now, the next season, on March 26, 1997, the anger of the Detroit Red Wings boiled over during a game in Detroit against the Colorado Avalanche. The game boasted 39 penalties, 148 penalty minutes, and 10 fights. I'll never forget the brawl that happened 301 days after the hit on Chris Draper. Of course, you guys understand that I hail from Michigan, and I'm a hockey fan. Well, there's a reason that I tell you that hockey story, because most games of hockey are not like that. Most games don't have brawls with so many penalties and so many fights. And if a person were had to turn on his TV at that time and, and watch that game and not understood the tension between those two teams, he would have been stunned. Why don't these guys just play hockey? Why, why aren't they, why are they doing what they're doing? Why are they fighting instead of playing? Well, he needed to know the background. And now, as we come to our study in the midst of the book of Revelation, we are coming closer and closer to the epic battle between Jesus Christ and the devil. And if we're going to understand that this is an epic battle to come, we need to realize the rivalry that has been taking places for a long, long time. So far, we've looked in this book of Revelation at what we might call a pregame show. To the battle to come. We've been hearing about Jesus Christ primarily. In the first three chapters, he's the exalted one who rules in the church. In chapters 6 through 16, he's the worthy one who unleashes judgment upon the earth in order to reclaim the earth and establish God's kingdom there. Here in Revelation 12, the attention turns to the great dragon, the devil, the opponent of Christ. So what this chapter is doing for us is what a pregame show does for a sports event. It sets the game in its context. So this chapter lays bare for us the conflict of the ages that precedes the final conflict to come. So brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's today consider the pursuit on earth. Father, as we look into your word, we desire that it would be sown in our hearts, so help me today as I sow. And Father, we desire that it would take root in the heart and produce fruit, and that happening is yet to be known, but we pray that you would affect fruit in your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps those who are my age and older know right quickly what is on the screen this morning. This arcade game needs no introduction to us, but to you who are a bit younger than I, um, you might not know what this game is, given that you have multiple gaming systems and devices that you're able to play on with countless games. Back in our day, we didn't have so many games. We didn't have so many devices. We had what was called an arcade. And one of the most popular games at the arcade was Pac-Man. Now, the object of this game was quite simple. You move Pac-Man, who's the little circle-looking character, often yellow. You move him around a maze, and he's supposed to consume all the little dots, And once all the dots are eaten, you progress to the next level. Now, the challenge of the game comes with all the colorful ghosts who are constantly pursuing Pac-Man. And when the ghost catches Pac-Man, he loses his life. And in the course of studying Revelation 12 together, we have seen significant events in the life of Satan, the devil. In this chapter, we've seen in the first six verses that John saw a sign in heaven. And this related to us that the great dragon had a plot to destroy the Christ child. He failed, and Christ returned to heaven. Then there was war in heaven between Michael and his company and the dragon and his company. And on this occasion, the dragon's defeated, and he's thrown down to the earth. And the significance of this event which I understand to still be future, is that Satan at that time will no longer be able to accuse the saints before God in heaven. Now we come to verses 13 through 17, the final portion of Revelation 12, and we find the pursuit on earth. And this pursuit is something that is confined to the earth because that is where Satan has been thrown down to. He's been thrown down to the earth. And that's bad news for people on the earth. We know that as we look back at verse 12. Listen for a moment. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So Revelation twelve thirteen through 17 is going to relate to us what Satan will do when his time is short and he is confined to the earth. Two simple points that we'll see this morning. The first is that Satan will try to destroy ethnic Israel. Satan will try to destroy ethnic Israel. Look at verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. So the demoted dragon pursued the woman. Now, doesn't that sound strange? You go to church and you, someone asks, what did you learn at church? You learn about a dragon and a woman. That just sounds strange. What is this? Well, we know from the very first verse of the chapter but that what John saw was a sign. He saw something that stood for something else. And we know from the text in verse 9 that the dragon was Satan. And we know that the woman is the origin of the Christ child. She gave birth to the child. We know the child is Christ because he will rule with the rod of iron. We know that. Now, it might be tempting to think that the woman must then be the Virgin Mary. But as we read the rest of the chapter, the details don't describe her. The woman, she indeed is the origin of the Christ child. Therefore, it would seem that she is Israel. She is not the country of Israel. She is the ethnic people of Israel. We need to make sure to make that distinction in our minds. We're talking about a group of people, not a location in the earth. So, this is Satan trying to destroy ethnic Israel. And God will shelter Israel from Satan's pursuit. Look at verse 14. The dragon pursued the woman, verse 14, but the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. You see, the woman is given wings to escape the dragon's pursuit. And perhaps you're all this morning wondering, you've read this passage before as you've read through your Bible And you're on the edge of your seat wondering, what are the two wings of the great eagle? I'm so glad I came today so you could tell me. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but I don't know. Because the text doesn't say. You know, there are times in the book of Revelation that God gives a sign, and then he tells us exactly what it is. In chapter 1, John saw seven lampstands. The Son of Man was among them, standing there. And we know because we are told that that referred to Jesus walking among the seven churches of Asia Minor. We know what it was because it told us what it was. In Revelation 12, we know that the dragon is Satan because it says that. But this other detail of the wings and the eagle, we don't know. Well, What do we know? We know from Revelation 12, 6 that the woman fled to the wilderness. You say, why did she flee? Well, we know from verse 13, the dragon was pursuing her. And then we learn in verse 14 that she escaped the dragon's pursuit because of God's intervention. It says she was given, and we've seen this again and again and again. When it talks about a person being given something that ultimately comes from God, God is providing the woman a way of escape. And you know from the cross-reference in the margin to Exodus 19, 3 and 4, that God has described the way of escape that he gave Israel in terms of eagles' wings. Exodus 19 says this, The Lord called to Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, young people, you know this. How did the people of Israel cross the Red Sea? Were they carried by eagles across the sea? Were they carried from Egypt to the Promised Land? No, they walked. It wasn't like the end of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings where all of a sudden the great eagles come down and pick up Frodo, Samwise, and company and deliver them away. Israel walked. But the way that God describes it is that he sent them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. So, this sign seems to point forward to a time when Israel be, will be pursued by the devil, but there will be a way of escape. And I, it's hard to talk about something like this without reflecting on a promise that you and I have from God in relation to temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Never. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, even as Israel was cornered, as you remember, at the Red Sea, at the coming on of the Egyptians as they pursued them there, God made a way of escape for Israel. He parted the Red Sea. And even so, God is always providing you and me with an emergency escape hatch when we are tempted to sin. We should never think that our situation is so unique and the temptation is so strong that we are helpless victims. That can never be our thought. So even today, if you feel that you were held by the cords of sin, the Bible has promised us, God has promised us, that there is an escape. There is forgiveness of sins in Christ. And there is grace from God that often comes through a word of a fellow believer who's seated around you right now. You just need to avail yourself of God's grace and God's forgiveness. You need to call on Him and share your need with your brother and sister in the Lord around you today. We know that this woman will escape, we know that her stay will be in the wilderness. And what we also know is wherever this place is in the wilderness, we know that there's a very specific time. It talks about 1,260 days, and it then says in verse 14, a time, times, and half a time. And that's very simply in mathematical terms, three and a half years. From the margin, you see how that relates back to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 25, and chapter 12, verse 7. and. And what we've found in our study of this book is that again and again and again and again, we see this reference to a very specific period of time, three and a half years or 42 months, which is the same as 1,260 days. It's said again and again so we won't miss the point. The point is this is the final period before the time when the mystery of God will be fulfilled. Chapter 10, verse 7. It is the days in which the kingdom of the world, this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, chapter 11, verse 15. This is the time immediately preceding the establishment of God's kingdom in and on the earth. And of course, we expect God's word to fit together, and as we look at the time frame given us in Daniel 9, 27, it fits perfectly. This is the last half of the 70th week of Daniel. But the point I want to draw to your attention on this is the fact that God is able to talk in these terms. God is able to say, I will put the woman in the wilderness and she'll be nourished for three and a half years. You know, we are in a unique time of this year, the election year, that politicians make promises And we all know that very soon they will begin to break all those promises because they can't keep them all, even with their best efforts. You know, God never faces that trouble. Because he is sovereign over everything, he can very easily say it'll be three and a half years. He doesn't have to guess. He doesn't have a a plan that he hopes will work out. God has a plan. It will work out. It will be. Three and a half years. And because he's God, the true sovereign of the universe, he can do that. In six days, he makes heaven and earth. And in three and a half days, he will sustain his people Israel in the wilderness. That's not hard for him. His kingdom is going to be established following that unique time. He is able to shelter Israel from Satan's pursuit As we look at verses 15 and 16, we see that God will stifle Satan's attacks on Israel. Look at verse 15. And the serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth, swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. You see, the earth swallowed up the dragon's flood. Now, once again, you're probably really excited that you came today because you've wondered what that meant for a long time. And I'm supposed to tell you what it means. I can't tell you what it means. I have no idea. I mean, just think of it. Why is there water coming out of a dragon's mouth? Don't dragon breathe, dragons breathe fire? Okay, beyond that, you know, is God able to open up the earth Absolutely. He's done that in the past. Look at Exodus chapter 15. The point is very plain in that God is going to curtail Satan's attack in the future. I can't tell you all the specs about that, but we can know for sure that it will happen. And that's the point. We don't have to know all the specifics about the future reality, but what we must believe is that God has the power to deliver and that he will deliver and protect in keeping with his plans and his promises. Satan has tried to thwart God's plan, tried to thwart his promise. He tried to destroy the Christ child, and he failed. Then he tried to conquer God's angels in heaven, and he was defeated. He pursued the woman, and she was given a way of escape because of what God did to intervene. You see, at every point, Satan, who is the opponent of God but not the equal of God, He tries to frustrate God's covenant, but he fails. That's the point we all need to remember. He can't stop the Redeemer who will secure the salvation of his people. If he did, he would thwart God's plan. He did not do that. And Satan cannot destroy the people of Israel, those God has made specific promises to. If he could, he would upset the promises of God. God's word would not then be true. But again and again, what we find is that what God plans and what God promises, he's able to perform. Even when Satan opposes, Satan can't stop him. So, what Satan has to do is, well, he has to regroup, he has to redirect his attack. And his attack is then a last ditch effort to thwart God's promises. That's what we see at the end of verse 17. Second point this morning, not only will Satan try to destroy ethnic Israel, but Satan will try to destroy the church. Verse 17 says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. So the disappointed dragon made war on the woman's offspring. And before we consider his efforts, let's think about his rage. It says that Satan will become angry with Israel. Well, why is that? Well, because he tried to destroy Israel and it didn't work. He's furious that his efforts have failed. Now, young people, just think about that. Have you, ever become ang- have you ever became angry because you failed? Have you ever taken a test and fallen apart because you couldn't think of the answer? You couldn't remember what you studied. You couldn't figure out the problem and it frustrated you. We've all felt that way. And Satan, he's a creature like us, he's frustrated because he too fails. The young people, I need you to notice this. God never becomes angry because his plans fail. Because he does something and it's a failure. God never has to say, well, plan A didn't work, so I'll have to now plan something else. I'll have to resort to plan B. God is able to execute his plan every single time. And the confidence that that needs to well up in us is that God's promise to save us from our sin, he will perform. All who call upon him will be saved. You and I can be sure of that. In contrast, Satan is angry because he fails. Look at verse 12. We know another reason why he is angry. It says that he is angry because his time is short. Satan is no longer able to accuse the saints before God. He has been confined to the earth. And at that time, he will realize that his end is coming too. And instead of surrendering, he is going to give it all he has. say, well, what is Satan going to do? He is going to seek to destroy the church. That's where it says, the dragon went off to make war on the woman's offspring. Again, this is a difficult passage. Some say one of the most difficult in the book of Revelation because it includes signs that aren't interpreted for us. So we have to try to, our best to figure them out. So who is the woman's offspring? Well, here's my reasoning on it. You'll see if you, if you can follow me. The woman's offspring is not the woman. Are you following me? The woman who was the origin of the Christ child. And therefore, she was the one who preceded Christ. The woman is not the woman's offspring. So kids, think of it this way. You're not your mother. There's a difference between you and mom. Okay, we're on the same page. Second thing, the offspring of the woman are related to the woman. Kids, you're not your mom, but you are related to your mother. Even so, I would say that the church of Christ, the church that Christ promise to build is related to Israel. And I think the book of Acts lays that out quite plainly. The gospel first goes to Jerusalem, and the gospel extends, and that was quite quite an ordeal that they had to figure, but the gospel extends to the Gentiles. And so Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that all believers are sons of God, despite ethnicity, it says in chapter 3 verse 29 if you are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise so it would seem to me that the woman's offspring refers to the church and one unique thing we know about this group in contrast to the woman alone is we know its character. Look at the end of verse 17. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Again, to to make this point clear, this group chronologically comes after Jesus if they hold the testimony of Jesus. On the same page, chronologically, they're characterized... By their ongoing obedience for God. And that is to say they love God because the lo- it is to love God is to keep his commandments, 1 John 5.3. And so this testimony of Jesus would be the testimony of the saints that they have. They verbally confess Christ. That's what we learned back at verse 11. So the saints are those who publicly profess Christ and they love God wholeheartedly. Now what is God going to do for them? We already learned that God provided eagle's wings for the woman so that she could flee to the wilderness. What is God going to do for the offspring of the woman? We'll come back next week. We'll go into chapter 13. But I hope that you already know the answer to that question because it, it kind of already came up in the application section of the book. Remember this book of Revelation? is in the form of an epistle. It's a book of prophecy in the form of an epistle. And epistles often chunk together the doctrine, which in this case is future doctrine, truth that is future, and it chunks together the application. That comes up in chapters 2 and 3. So we run back to the reference to Satan in chapter 2, where Christ spoke to the church in Smyrna. And recall what he says to them. Chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer, Behold the devil. So, the devil that's going to be in play in the future is actually in play during the time of the Church of Smyrna, way back in the 90s. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. This is what I want you to do be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So while what we learn about Satan in today's text is perhaps yet future then, the time of his great wrath, Satan still, back in the 90s, was opposed to and oppressed the saints of Smyrna. And even so, we may believe that Satan prowls about as a lion seeking saints of God to devour. But our hope has to rest on what the Bible says, particularly what we will learn in the book of Revelation, that God has made us promises. He has promised to give us life, even though there is one who seeks to snuff out our lives because he hates God. Satan hates God. He opposes God. He hates us because we're God's. We bear his image and by God's grace bear his likeness. God or Satan hates God and is trying to undermine God's plan. He's trying to undermine, God, undermine God's covenant with his people. He tried to destroy Christ. It didn't work. Our hope still stands. He tried to accuse the saints to God, but one day he's going to be cast down. And at that time, Satan, like the little ghosts on Pac-Man, is going to do everything he can to pursue God's people. He's going to try to catch them and devour them in order to take away their life. And what we can know is that God is not going to allow his recipients of his promise to be destroyed. He's not going to allow Israel to be destroyed and the people group of Israel to be obliterated from the earth. Because if that were to happen, his promises to Israel couldn't be fulfilled. So this is the conflict of the ages that has been going on for years. And it is the conflict that precedes the final conflict. Remember I told you at the beginning of the message that In that game in Detroit between the Red Wings and the Avalanche, if you'd just turned on the TV and saw the game that had ten fights in it, you wouldn't have understood what was happening without the background. That's what God is doing for us. We're not going to understand why the battle in chapter 19 is so epic if we don't understand the ongoing rivalry between God and Satan. But what we might be sure of, even as we look at this, Satan is trying his best. He has failed, and he will fail again. He's going to try hard in his anger, but ultimately, Jesus Christ is going to bring heaven's kingdom to earth. He will be the champion. So we trust in him. Father, we thank you for Christ who not only is set forth as our propitiation so that we do not suffer the wrath of God, he is the one who will one day come and bring ultimate salvation in the world. He will remove every wicked person, and he will establish all of his people. And given that future reality, given that Satan is his opponent but not equal, may we rightly think about the devil today. He is not a friend. He is not to be toyed with. He is not to be given into. And we are to give ourselves completely to the Lord Jesus Christ, who whether the world likes it or not, he will come and he will exercise his authority everywhere and every knee will bow to him. So Lord, as we see this is what will come, may we take great confidence in it and may we live like we believe it in submission to him. Perseverance through any situation, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.